So we've been doing a sermon series called Easter from the Backside, and we've been looking at sort of glimpses of the Old Testament sort of pointing towards Easter. And today's sermon title is called Late for Easter. Now, there's really a sense in which all of us, everybody who was not there for the first resurrection, are late for Easter. So, who else was late for Easter in Scripture? Well, Thomas was late for Easter. We remember in the Gospel of John that first Easter evening after Jesus had been resurrected, all the disciples were gathered in the locked room because they were afraid that the Romans were going to come for the Jews were going to come for them. And then Jesus just appears in their midst. And we're told that Thomas wasn't there. So I've always wondered, where was Thomas? I think he went to the lake house. I think he might have been fishing. So, but there's like, there's a whole sermon right here about how you should come to church. You never know what's going to happen. Jesus might even show up at church. So you should be here. But we'll save that sermon for another time. Who else was late for Easter? Paul. Paul was late. For Easter. He wasn't one of the twelve. In fact, you remember, he was a, a Pharisee, and he was a persecutor of the followers of Jesus. Paul was present at the stoning of Stephen and deemed it a good thing. Paul didn't ever see the resurrected Jesus, at least during the first Easter. But Paul had that encounter with him on the road to Damascus, where there was the bright light, Paul was blinded, and Jesus spoke to him and said, Paul, Saul, actually he was then, why are you persecuting me? And then, remember, he was led back to Damascus by the people that were with him, and he was blind for three days. Did you catch that that's the same number of days that Jesus was in the tomb? So Paul was late for Easter, yet he encountered the risen Christ. And of course, we know that Paul goes on to become among the greatest of the apostles. He writes 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament. Many of the creeds, many of the things that we believe are because Paul wrote them down. He becomes the biggest evangelist. He starts churches all over the world. And we've talked about this before. Of the 13 books that are attributed to Paul, scholars generally believe that seven of them were for sure written by Paul. Those are called the seven undisputed letters of Paul. The other six, they believe, were written by his followers, the people who were taught by Paul. And before you go thinking, oh, it's fraud, oh, it's plagiarism or something else, that was a common practice back then for, for people who were followers of a teacher to write in their name. And whether Paul wrote them or not, it makes them no less holy 
no less foundational, frankly, to what it is that we believe. Our text today comes from 1 Corinthians, which is one of the seven undisputed texts that most scholars agree Paul wrote. Now, let me remind you. So, Paul has started this church in Corinth, and he presented the gospel to them, and they believed. And it was a church, and it was growing, and things were doing amazing things there in the church. And then there were these teachers that sort of followed behind Paul, and they began to teach them things that were counter to what Paul had taught, the gospel that, that Paul had laid down for them. And one of the things that these people who followed behind Paul were teaching was that you, we, weren't really resurrected. They weren't denying the resurrection of Jesus, but they were telling the church at Corinth, yeah, dead is dead. And Paul's whole letter, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians for that matter, are, are basically his efforts to keep the church on the right track. He's heard about the problems that are happening, and those letters, 1 and 2 Corinthians, to the, or to the church at Corinth to help get them back on the right path. So what we're reading from today is the 15th chapter, verses 1 through 11. Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the good news that I proclaimed to you, which you in turn received, in which you also stand, through which you are being saved, if you hold firmly to the message that I proclaimed to you, unless you have come to believe in vain. For I handed on to you as of first importance what I in turn had received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and then He appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, then to the twelve, then He appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unfit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and this grace toward me has not been in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we proclaim, so that you have come to believe. This is the word of God for the people of God. So we, we see in this text that Paul is writing to the church of Corinth, and he's reminding them, people, the resurrection is everything. Without the resurrection, truly, Jesus is just another dead, would-be Messiah. Paul is reminding us that it is the resurrection that gives power to everything that preceded Jesus' death. Without the resurrection, there's nothing. 
And he's reminding them that that's true of you, that without your resurrection, the power of Jesus is nothing. So today is Palm Sunday, and the people of Jerusalem, as we sort of simulated, welcome Jesus by waving palms and, and shouting, Hosanna, which means save us, save us now. That's what Hosanna means. So, so the Jews were an occupied people, and they were looking for a Messiah. That their anticipation that the Messiah was going to be a conquering king, that he would come in and he would throw the Romans out and the kingdom of God would be brought in Jerusalem. That was their expectation. That's what they were saying Hosanna about. That's why they were laying their cloaks on the ground. That's why they were waving palms, palms of victory. They thought the Messiah had come. They had this expectation that the Messiah was a conquering king. A week later, that conquering king was dead. Think about that. That They had this expectation that the conquering king was here. Finally, justice was going to happen. And he was dead. I mean, think about the disciples who've given up their lives and followed him around for years. All of their dreams, gone. All of their hopes and expectations, gone. Can you imagine what that first Saturday after the crucifixion was like? Fast forward 20, 30 years later. The greatest apostle of all is a persecutor of the followers of Jesus. Who saw that coming? I mean, who really on planet Earth expected the resurrection of Jesus? I mean, he even told the disciples, this has to happen, and nobody expected it. I mean, that they would use, that God would use Paul, a persecutor of followers? You know what I get from this text? Is that our God specializes in doing the unexpected. God uses whom God will use to make his will come about. And it can come from some of the most unexpected places, from some of the most unexpected people. You think back in your life, my wife and I call them the fingerprints of God. Think back in your life where you see moments where God has moved in your life. Did it come from an expected source? Maybe it did. But I would wager many of them came from unexpected places, from unexpected people. I guarantee you, 23 years ago, there was not a person on planet Earth that thought I would be standing here as your pastor today. You talk about unexpected, 
myself included. There are still people in Houston saying, Mike Tyson is doing what? Our God is predictably unpredictable. So look back at your life. And as you look forward, look for God to use you and move in your life in unexpected ways. Because we serve a resurrected God, a resurrected Jesus. So in this text, Paul is listing proof of the people who have seen the resurrected Jesus. He says Cephas, which is Peter's other name, Peter, then the twelve, and then he shows up to 500 brothers and sisters, and he says, many of whom are still alive. So what he's saying is, you can go talk to them. They saw it. And then, then Peter, sorry, Paul, who was late for Easter, says, and he appeared to me. Paul is telling us that he encountered the resurrected Lord. You want to know something interesting? The power, the power that resurrected Jesus, it resides in you. That that very same power that allowed Jesus to overcome the grave, it's in you. The truth is, we can never be late for Easter. Now, you can be late for Easter service, which is at 9.45 and 11, and we have a 6.30 sunrise service. You can be late for service, but you can never be late for Easter because we can encounter the resurrected Jesus in others. We we can encounter the resurrected Jesus directly, and we can find the power of Christ that causes us to be resurrected, that causes Jesus to be resurrected. We find it in us. You can never be late for Easter because Jesus is always with you. There may be moments, maybe seasons, where you feel like Jesus is nowhere near. But I promise you, he's at your elbow. Jesus laughs when we laugh. He celebrates when we celebrate. He cries when we cry. And he hurts when we hurt. Jesus is with you all the time. You can never be late for Easter. And don't miss this, because Paul makes this clear. Your Resurrection is part of the power of Christ. We claim that. 
we hold on to that. I mean, we, we said it in the affirmation of faith. I believe in the resurrection of the body. The good news is that you can be reunited. You can be reunited with your nana, your papa, your mimi, your mom, your dad, your beloved brother or sister. There is a time when you will be able to walk into their arms and be together again. We claim the power of resurrection. And that power is in you. So, so you're walking around with the power of Christ inside of you. Are, are, are you allowing it to shape you? Are you allowing it to mold your soul? Are you doing what you can to share the good news of Jesus Christ with your friends, with the people around you? You have in you an unbelievable power. The power of Christ, a resurrected Christ, resides in you. What are you doing with it? How are you sharing it? How are you allowing it to shape your life? The good news is because Jesus lives, you also will live. The power of Christ, it's in you. Use it. Use it to engage, to help bring about the kingdom of God. Because Jesus lives, you also shall live forever. Let us pray. Gracious and holy God, the power of Christ is indeed in us. Help us, Father, to let it loose, to let it shape us, to let it mold us, to allow the Spirit of Christ to move within us. Father, make us bold to go out into the world and share the good news that eternal life, the forgiveness of sins, and the resurrection of the body is available through the grace of Jesus Christ, through the sacrifice, and through His resurrection. Help us to share that good news. Father, let this place become a beacon of Your love your grace so that we might make the world a better place for you, for our neighbors, and for our kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' holy name and all God's children said, Amen.